welcome to oh, hey great shot this is the great shot podcast a crack racket and tennis channel podcast network production my name is alex gruskin on today's show we've got another edition of the deciding point our weekly breakdown of everything that happens in the division one college tennis world of course here on tuesday nights on our crack rackets youtube channel we break down all the division one women's action and this past week saw the start of conference play across the country it's a uh, multiple spring break trips in action it delivered us all sorts of fun results to discuss here on today's podcast and joining me as always to break it all down as he does each and every week on this show is a man you know best as the returning champion of returning champions here on our crack rackets podcast the founder of the no ad no problem blog and podcast co-host of these deciding point episodes our dear friend john j parsons j Hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I'm good. You know, I'm feeling somewhat rested after what was a very busy college tennis weekend, tracking all of the Cracked Rackets streams and all of the different avenues in which one can find those streams. So it was a busy weekend. Um, back to normalcy here. Uh, I've, it's been a busy few weeks for me personally. So uh, this feels like a more normal week. So I'm I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to hear it all as well in the personal life of Jay. This is the real breakdown we want to start today's show. It is. I was in the office for the first time last week since 2020, so wow. it just took a lot out of me. Not used to that. Yeah. When was the last time you had to put on non-athletic like athletic pants? Like I feel like going to an office, that's got to be the worst stress, right? Is actually having to get dressed. Yeah, except when you just wear your joggers to work. Yeah. <laughs> uh that's probably like the least interesting thing about going to work at this point okay that's very very fair and again here on today's show we're not going to break down jay's wardrobe we are (laughs) going to break down the past week in the division one women's college tennis world of course before we do any of that a shout out as always to the sponsor that makes this show possible week in week in uh week in week out excuse me it's our dear friends at ls of course i'm not rocking the ls today it had to get cleaned at some point in the washing machine as we speak but truly extraordinarily comfortable it's starting to turn into spring you can wear that hoodie outdoors you can play tennis in it go for a run in it do all the things you like to do as winter turns to spring and you're gonna look fashionable doing it as well shout out to our friends at ls for their support of this show to learn more about the catalog of items they provide click on the link in the description to this podcast shout out to our dear friends at ls all right as always the plan for today's show break down the past week look ahead at break down our crack rackets top 10 rankings the latest edition of the ita rankings as well but of course every so often we're handed some breaking news in the college tennis world and we'd like to start with that news here on today's show of course the big announcement in the college tennis world is the announcement of the universal tennis national intercollegiate tennis championships event coming this may for the first time of course i'm going to read directly from the universal tennis read out universal tennis announcing the first ever universal tennis national intercollegiate tennis championships for college teams to participate in a postseason competition from may 17th to may 20th that's a key detail may 17th to May 20th in Atlanta, Georgia. All matches will be aired on Amazon Prime Video. The NIT Championships will allow men's and women's teams to gain valuable 
postseason experience. Eight teams will be selected to participate in this year's event by the NIT Tournament Committee with the team's UTR Power 6 ranking among the top criteria for consideration. That's the readout we were offered by Universal Tennis J. Curious your reaction to this event. What else you know as it relates to what the field might look like? Well, my initial reaction was surprise and intrigue. Uh, was really the the two thoughts I had when I saw this announcement uh, and a little bit of like, I definitely called this. Uh, you can go back on the Twitter feed talking about the opportunity to have college tennis on Prime video, given Universal Tennis's relationship with Prime. But uh, holistically, what we know about this field, I feel a lot, a lot of speculation today. It's essentially going to be teams that are not selected for the NCAA tournament. So we talk often on this show, Chris Hallior is probably the expert in this field around uh, whether or not you make the cut, right? What is that cut line? Somewhere around 40, kind of typically in the ITA rankings. So this field will be comprised of teams who don't make the NCAA teams. They're not competing in the round of 64. They're not going to a regional host. You mentioned the dates. The dates completely overlap with the NCAA team event, all the way down to the fact that the women play on May 17th, followed by men and women combined quarterfinals through finals uh, all the way through 20th. That was another huge takeaway of this. Um, but overall, I mean, the amount of stuff that Universal Tennis has launched in the college tennis realm just since January, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, they've, you know, reinstated the 100K, you know, herd grant for uh, new college tennis players who are making it on the pro tour. They've announced a match with USC men and Pepperdine men at Indian Wells. They've announced 2024 Australian Open College Tennis Showcase. They just announced the UTCA, this kind of college tennis coach advisory committee. And now we're announcing college tennis on Prime uh, for this you know, intercollegiate championship. So overall, just overwhelmed with the amount of college tennis news that is coming from Universal Tennis. And I'm really interested to see how it plays out. But you can't be excited that we're getting more coverage of college tennis on different platforms. Can't be anything but excited, right? Anything but excited. I am excited about it. Yeah, exactly. You said can't be excited. I was like, wait oh. a second. No, I yeah. disagree. You can't be excited. <laughs> you can and be excited. Yes. Yeah. No, a lot of things there to follow up on. I want to start, though, with your broader theme, if I may speculate as to what it was, which is the 30,000 foot view. How is this anything but good? For college tennis, the investment meet being made by Universal Tennis through all of these different avenues. And obviously, the ITA has adopted the world tennis number moving forward. And look, world tennis number is a UTR equivalent in terms of trying to find a rating system as opposed to a straight up ranking based on results to try and monitor the ever uh, the level of everyone, regardless of what level that you're playing at. Still, like again to have another national collegiate event that will receive Amazon Prime spotlight, that's fantastic for college tennis. There are a lot of committees in college tennis, but for Universal Tennis to put together another one of really sharp minds, Adam Schachterly and Audra Cohen, two of the names that pop into my head that I believe are serving on the committee, those are two of the brightest and most innovative young minds you will find amongst coaches in all of college tennis. So to put them together on anything to try and propel college tennis moving forward, that's a win for the sport. You know, again, 
30,000 foot view, I think it's impossible to be anything but excited. Do I wish they picked a different date? Absolutely. Because I think you put this event in the fall instead of the spring. Boy, how awesome would that be to get one look at by, if you want to go by UTR based on the fall results, whatever it may be. So be it the selection criteria, but some facsimile of top eight teams coming together right before the spring season starts and we see them all go head to head. Boy, that would be a really fun event that we don't currently have on the college tennis calendar. And like, look, there's an NIT. I Shout out to UTR, Universal Tennis, excuse me, uh, for sticking with the NIT theme, an allusion to college basketball. There's an NIT tournament for uh, National Invitationals, what it stands for, uh, for teams that don't make March Madness, the NCAA tournament in college basketball. This is somewhat an equivalent of that. And I like the spirit, the ethos of providing more competitive opportunities. I hate that it overlaps with the final weekend of NCAAs. Like, I, I just, I don't like that. I, I, if it was the Sunday to Wednesday before, I think that would be awesome. I think you want to try and get teams that lose early in the NCAA tournament competing in this event. I don't think that's unkosher. I think that's totally fine as well. I just don't like the overlap. Like, I get that these players can travel to individuals, but I don't like that these are two really fun competing events happening at the same time. So I agree on the fall event i would be surprised at this rate if we don't see a very similar fall event to what you just talked about i think the fall in particular is ripe for opportunity right and the ability and i mean previously the ita even used utr seedings utr ratings for the seedings in their fall event so i mean the fall is is ready to kind of be um disrupted and i think universal tennis could have a lot of opportunity there particularly with you know the inroads they're making with prime but what's your pushback on the overlap is it purely from a fan perspective because overall these are teams who don't make the ncaa tournament this year in particular there's a day off between the saturday finals of the team event and ncaa's and the individual starting on monday so for teams that compete in this event if they have players who are eligible to play in individuals they have a a baked-in travel day, Atlanta to Orlando, not that far. I think that was strategically chosen. What's your pushback on the overlap? It's the wherewithal for fans to follow both events throughout the course of the weekend. And I know that over, only overlaps, what, three of the four days are overlap, not all of them. But uh, Every I, single day is an overlap. Oh, it's all overlap. Okay, <laughs> so again, I think that matters. Like, that that's the sort of thing where I would prefer, if possible— Put it the week, you know, again, round of 16, there are fewer matches. There are only 16 matches. If you want to do it that weekend instead, I'm fine with that because the bandwidth of a college tennis fan, you're kind of watching everything that weekend anyways. But I just think the NCAA champ, like, again, the NIT doesn't go up against the final four. Like, I just don't like the idea. I, I don't like is the wrong word. I just think the Nash, this national intercollegiate tournament would be better placed elsewhere in the calendar that way college tennis fans can glorify it can offer it a center stage in a way that it just never will have because like again if you're a college tennis fan sure you can pull off both links but I always say when you're watching multiple matches you're not watching any matches and I just think push comes to shove you have the choice do I pull up the the NCAA quarterfinals or do I pull up this really cool NIT event I'm probably pulling up the quarterfinals if the quarterfinals is easy to pull up, yeah, that's more news on that. that. More news oh, I on think, that but I think that's the big thing, right? I think one of this coming is 
the announcement of this prime relationship, right? And the accessibility that that has is above and beyond what we had last year for NCAAs in terms of accessibility. So we have not heard new any news yet on whether the NCAAs will be televised, if it will be on streaming platforms. None of that has been released publicly. And so at this point in time, it might be way easier for a fan to pull up prime video. I understand from a fan perspective, and I think it would be easier for us as as fans and pontificators to elevate this uh, this event if it was not directly competing. Absolutely. But I do think that in terms of making this an attractive offering for both coaches, players and teams overall, this is the best time for it to be because school most players are out of school, right? They do want some competitive time prior to playing individuals. Like I understand it from from that regard, but it reads uh quite bold from Universal Tennis for sure to host it the exact same days. I, I agree again, 30,000 foot view. It's great to have college tennis on Amazon Prime. Now I will say, I'll tease here, no NCA announcement yet that's the key word no announcement yet on what the broadcast is going to look like but i think there might be some news on that soon and hopefully we here at cracked records will be able to share it when that announcement uh comes forward that is what we in the business call a tease but no i mean again it's a fascinating event i love the concept i texted you what within three minutes of the tweet being sent to you and chris we had the group chat going and you know, I had to send some messages to a few coaches as well. How can you be anything but positive about this? Another national event for college tennis to have a spotlight shined on it. I do think that's a good thing moving forward. But enough on this inaugural event that we will see in May. Of course, plenty of fun teams will be competing in that. But all of them currently want to be competing for the NCAA tournament. And as the calendar turns to March, we head towards conference play. We get to the meat of the schedule. Things really begin to heat up. And with all of that in mind, let's turn now to some of the matches that happened over the past week in the Division I women's college tennis world. Let's start with Pepperdine, a team that we have discussed throughout the course of this season. They just hadn't played a ton of matches coming into the weekend. And Obviously, they were supposed to have a really big weekend. They're supposed to play, what, Stanford and Cal a couple of weeks ago. It gets rained out right prior to the national indoors. And, you know, again, coming into the weekend, they played a total of seven matches through two months. That's nothing, obviously, in terms of the big picture. But look, we said it at the start of the season. Coach Per Nilsson has always scheduled aggressively. That was Continued to be the case, excuse me, this season. He had two big matches Saturday, Sunday this weekend as they took on Michigan and Oklahoma State back-to-back at home, back-to-back victories for the Pepperdine Waves, 4-0-4-1. And prior to our show beginning today, I told Jay I was coming in spicy. I just told him I was locked in. I had a take for him. Jay, I need you to talk me out of thinking Savannah Brodus is the best player in the country. Because when you look at this Pepperdine squad, what they were able to accomplish over the course of the weekend, again, 4-0 over Michigan, 4-1 over Oklahoma State. First of all, match against Michigan was far closer than that. And we'll break that down in a second. But this is where we have to start because you look for Savannah Brodus. 0-4 over Lily Jones of Michigan. She gets a 1-3 win over Alana Wolfberg of Oklahoma State. She and Chen go 2-0 in the doubles at the number one spot. And Savannah Brodus remains undefeated on the season. I think certainly she's in, if not leading, the most valuable point conversation in the country. 
But after watching her play this weekend, straight up, Jay, try and tell me she's not the best player in the country right now. Well, is she even the best player on her team? I mean, she's playing three. I I had this similar thought where I almost feel like they have a Savannah Bros problem because it's like, well, (laughs) what do you do? You know, you move her up to two, up to one. Like, how far do you keep moving her up? Because the problem is the people in front of her especially Lisa Czar isn't really losing, right? Janice Chen can have some off days at number one and also at number one, it's a little bit tougher, but I mean, and then I went to look to see how low she's ranked in the ITA rankings to make sure she gets in the NCAA tournament this year. I don't think that will be a concern. Thankfully, unlike last year where she wasn't able to play, nor was Janice Chen. Look, she's playing awesome. Uh, I don't know if she's lost a set. She certainly hasn't lost a match like you mentioned, but she's rolling through these matches, right? Hardly dropping games in her matches against, you know, UCF. And then this weekend here in Malibu, there's not much more to say. I mean, she was a player that we all circled as having a sophomore surge. I'd argue it's really just a um, improvement from her freshman year campaign, which was stellar as well. Um, Look, she's an excellent player. It's the eye test. She just has the athleticism. She has the weapons. She plays big in the biggest moments. Like she also has the physicality to extend rallies if need be. But, you know, it's funny because to your point, it's, I mean, it's a burden and a blessing. Is it actually a, high, no, it's, no, it's a yeah, high class not. problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're being a little facetious there. Lisa Czar had no business winning the first set against Julia Fliegner. You know, Julia served for it or had set points, I believe, in three different games down the home stretch of that set. Czar takes the first 7-6 now. That match had three hours, three sets written all over it. Even before the start, it looked like it was heading that way. You know, same deal for her against, uh, I forget who she played against Oklahoma State the next day. She played uh, uh, Pear. Uh, yeah, she played Pear. Thank you. You know, she's up a set and three, all seven, six there, another two hour fest. Lisa Zara is going to do her thing. Like, you know, yeah. Lisa Zara is never losing in less than two and a half hours. And that's if she loses. Usually she wins. You know, Janice Chen was down match points to Kari Miller. She's up five, two in the third when that match finishes. She gets a straight set win over Nofuck against Oklahoma State. Like both of those players are exceptional. But like. I just like, I don't know. I don't know how you don't play Savannah at one. It's an eye test thing. Like the serve in the forehand for Chen are ridiculous. The physicality for Zars out of this planet. And I just think Brodus can do all of it. And it's like, if they wanted to just do a little hockey switch and move Brodus up to one, Chen down to two, Zar down to three, I'd have no problem with it. I just like, it's an eye. Again, it's, it has nothing to do with sliding Chen and Zar. It has everything to do when I, when I watch Lisa, uh, when I watch Savannah Brodus, She's just playing at a different level than her opponents right now. Yeah, and the results prove that. I do think one thing I've noticed in her level is I find her a lot more consistent this season than she was last season. And either it's the athleticism and the fitness that's paying off, and so she feels like she can stay in these points longer, just a lot less loose errors. Maybe that's practicing with Lisa Czar for a season. That'll that'll show you not to miss. But yeah, I mean, she's... She's really rounding out her game. Uh, it's not just those big weapons, but it's the ability to stay in these points um, and and also be consistent when needed. Yeah, I'd like to see her move up. Um, we'll see what they do. Yeah, I also think on the flip side, bottom half of the lineup looked really good. Obviously, Tim Chiwat gets the clinching victory from a set down against Serdan, against Michigan. Redelick, I mean, she should have beaten Mesa up a set in 5-2. Now, Gala was so good down the home stretch of that match. I actually thought it, I don't think Nikki played poorly. Like, did she get a little tight? Yeah. 
But Gala was ripping from the baseline. Like I thought it had and moving forward, hitting overheads. Like she worked her way back into that match. Redelick didn't let it go. But Redelick it bounces back, gets a win over Oklahoma State the next day. Her and Campana 2-0 in the weekend at the number three double spot. That was a major issue for Pepperdine in what was only seven matches through the first two months. But it was an issue through seven matches. Like this team's rounding into form. And that's the scary part, right? Is you still feel like they're probably not at their best. I think, I mean, I feels like this is their best. Uh, I mean, I think Tim Chiwat and Campana singles wise, Campana gets a good win over Mary Kelly. Obviously Michigan without Jaden Brown, will get there in a second, but like, I don't think her, I don't think Tim Chiwat's playing her best yet. Like I still think those two pieces are the pieces that takes this team over the top. Yeah, I mean, Tom Chaiwad is is more of a question mark than you would expect right now at number four, for sure. Um, but the problem is they only have six players. These six players <laughs> sure. is the six that we're talking about. Okay. That's it, right? Carolyn Campagna not playing right now. Not sure if she's out for the entire season, but that's tough, right? And they still have more of a gauntlet to go through, as you mentioned, uh, pairs schedule schedules tough uh, as he needs to being in the West Coast Conference. So We'll see how that holds up, right? Any nicks uh, or things like that will derail them. Yeah, well said. Now, of course, on the flip side, Michigan goes one and one uh, on their trip. They get a 4-3 win over Cal. They drop this match to Pepperdine and play the singles without Jaden Brown, obviously, uh, which, you know, again, you could tell her shoulder was heavily taped uh, during the doubles. Uh, still, I mean, Julia Fleetner's proven she's top three good. And obviously, I'm a little biased there, so I'll let you talk about that. This team has real depth, though, as well. Like, Sardan's playing three sets against everyone. Honestly, I feel like Mesa Chirito's down is set in a break in every match she plays, ultimately to win in three sets. Like, she's a gamer. Lily Jones, for a freshman, has been really good, although you do wonder, month three, is this maybe where we see a little bit of a slump just with everything that adds up? If Michigan's healthy, they're top eight good. Yeah, I came away uh, feeling better about this Michigan team. After that match, even though they lost 4-0, then I did coming into the weekend. And the reason is, yes, they were without Jaden Brown, their top singles player. They have a lot of fight in this team. I think, you know, uh, that was a weird match. I mean, Pepperdine could have won that match in almost 45 minutes, but Michigan held on, right? But then in the places that they did have leads, like Kari Miller having match points against Janice Chen, those fell through the cracks. But Overall, I was impressed. I was impressed with Kari Miller even being in that position with Janice Chen. Julia Fliegner has clearly taken a big leap uh, from last season to this season, can compete with anyone in the top three position. I think she was my MVP at indoors for the number three position. So they have a lot of a lot of talent. Um, and the bottom of the lineup is looking good. I was really impressed with Gala's fight um, at number five. Just to keep the match alive, right, and split that second set, put – continue to put the pressure on the four, three win over Cal is not aging. Well, (laughs) Um, they probably wanted to win that match a little more decisively, but you know, this is one of their first weekends outdoors. Um, You know, so I was, I was impressed uh, with what Michigan did against Pepperdine. That's why they get the mulligan for the Cal match. You win it. Like that's what matters uh, for this Michigan team. You look for Oklahoma state, big weekend going to Texas. They're seven and four overall, but their four losses are Michigan, Michigan, Ohio state, and Pepperdine Four top 10 losses. I don't hold it against them. Now, again, are they going to be top eight? Maybe not. Um, 
Obviously, I think they will be very, very close, though, uh, uh, certainly in that top 16 conversation. And again, I think they're going to have a pretty solid Big 12 season. Um, any Oklahoma State thoughts you want to get out? Well, I think they're almost like the Baylor equivalent on the men's side in that <laughs> I think they might have scheduled. They, they did schedule very aggressively. And, you know, whether that's because of injuries or they just don't really are fielding the team they might thought they were fielding when they made this schedule. Um so I think there's a ways to go. I mean, let's not forget next year, NCAA is at Oklahoma State. Um, you have to expect they'll be very much looking forward to a top eight seed there. So they've got a ways to go to, to be top eight. The key is be top 16 so that you're hosting a kickoff weekend next year. You get to the national indoors. It yep. just makes everything that much more likely as you are hosting NCAAs. But again, you look for this team now. They've got the Big 12 schedule ahead of them. So we'll certainly learn more about them All right, that's enough with the Pepperdine West Coast swing of things, but let's stay on your side of the country, Jay, because Washington has proven their top 16 good. And obviously Washington got the massive 4-3 victory over Vanderbilt uh, at the National Indoors. Now they sweep the California schools, UCLA, USC, who both come to Washington, both drop matches at the Nordstrom Tennis Center for UCLA. They drop a match for three for USC Washington gets them 5-2. Let's start with the glass half full. I mean, again, like credit to this Washington team with the wins they've accumulated. I'm pretty sure they're number 25 right now in the rankings. But if they run the table in the Pac-12, like they're in the top 16 conversation, Jay. I mean, like outside of Stanford, I'm saying if they beat everyone but Stanford. They have to beat Stanford to be top 16. There's just not enough. They're the second highest ranked team in the Pac-12 right now. There's no points to gather in the Pac-12 to be top 16. And these other conferences just have so much room to improve. And we're talking nine wins deep. So that's the unfortunate part for Washington. The plus side is that they just swept the L.A. schools for the first time since 2003. Right. This is their fourth win against um, these respective programs in program history. So. Look, things are on the upswing for Washington. It always helps when UCLA and USC come to town and you get to play them indoors. Uh, those are two teams that didn't even make the indoor tournament. Not a lot of indoor tennis reps for them. So great wins for Washington. Top 16 feels like a stretch, but certainly solidifying themselves as a top 25 team and also holding on to that ranking. We saw them peak last year early in the season when they did qualify for indoors, upsetting UCLA at home there. Then they kind of faltered off, right? And you kind of um, saw them dip back down through the rankings. So I think holding on to a top 25 ranking throughout the rest of the season would be a bit big win for the Huskies. Yeah, I think that's well said. I think their transfers are playing extraordinarily well. You look yeah. at you know Jennifer Kerr, who gets a win over Vagramov, and then you know also gets a win over Naomi Chung. Saker uh, gets a win over Charney, as well as a victory over Luke Meyer. Uh, between those veterans, obviously, uh, Sato and Forden are still playing well at the top two spots, even if they got a little bit dinged up this past weekend. But they have real depth. Like, they have real options everywhere in their lineup. Haven't gotten to see this team play in person. They also have that it factor. Like, this team really believes in that they are as good as any of these other Pac-12 foes. And maybe now we wish we would have seen Washington-Stanford at the National Indoors. Get a little sneak preview of that match. Uh, Obviously, we did not. But look, on the flip side, let's start 
we have to start with UCLA. Here's the real thing, Jay. They're four and three right now. Losses Iowa State, FIU, now at Washington. They've played seven matches through two months. And it's like, yes, they have a non-conference against Ohio State. They've got a non-conference versus UC Santa Barbara, a non-conference versus Pepperdine. Then this Pac-12 schedule. Like, there are not a ton of matches on the calendar for this UCLA team. And, you know, you look for UCLA now following this loss coming out of the weekend. They're currently ranked number 64. Like, the margins are thin for the Bruins moving forward, Jay. Well, it's criminal scheduling, right? Because this is a team that lost matches last year due to COVID, right? They didn't have their Stanford and Cal swing. I think they missed another swing as well. You're also starting a team that is very young, right? You have a number one play. You have two freshmen starting in that lineup. You have multiple sophomores in that lineup. Uh, You have a Vagramov who's really struggling as your one, you know, more experienced player. Like, why are you not using all of your potential dates possible it doesn't really make any sense why they wouldn't schedule more matches even if they are just reps and also at this point now you have to be worried about the 500 rule let alone the ranking like let's say maybe other teams in the pac-12 start to get better you you know bank a winner here or two over over a washington over an arizona state like where are the other wins coming from they're in deep trouble they have to win cal at home they have to win at arizona state like And those are two really tricky matches and they have to win them now at this point. And like, again, they get, they're on the road at USC. They're at home for USC. So they get them twice. They're playing Pepperdine at home as well. I mean, top 16 is probably out of the question unless you, even if you sweep everything, but like, oh man, like, I mean, do they have to go two and one in those matches? At least one and two to get into the tournament, maybe Jay, like, I don't like again of those five matches at and they play Ohio State at home as well, but I'm not even qualifying that one right now for UCLA of the two USC's Stanford at home, Cal at home at Arizona State. Does this team have to go three and two in those matches? I was just thinking if they get to go three and two and they'll be tournament eligible. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. To, to get into the NCAA tournament. Yeah. And that's not easy. Like no. you can't just pencil in the at Arizona state. Uh, you can't pencil in the home against USC or Cal. And like, boy, it's urgent. It's now. And you mentioned it. That's the real thing. When I look at this UCLA team, I still like the core. It's a really young group. They didn't get to play a full schedule last year because COVID really threw off their year. It wouldn't shock me if we see a wave of doubleheaders coming on the schedule. If they look and they say, hey, San Diego, any of the UC schools, whatever it may be, do you guys have any? San Diego is a tough ask, but any of these teams, like, do you have dates remaining? Because, yeah, I just, they need to play more matches, Jay. And yeah, so, they don't even need to do doubleheaders. They could just do one match. They've got so many dates <laughs> remaining, it looks like. Yeah, very true. On the flip side, USC, seven and three overall. 4-3 loss to Notre Dame, 6-1 loss at Texas, 5-2 loss at Washington. Like, again, you look for this USC team. They're currently inside the NCAA tournament cutoff line. They're sitting at 36, and I honestly think they're fine there. You know, they've got Pepperdine coming up this weekend. UCLA at home still. Stanford's going to be at home for them. They're also at Arizona State. You know, it's the same schedule, obviously. Them and UCLA travel partners. I mean, you look for this USC team, even this past weekend, C got a win over Sato. But like looking at the stats for this team, 
I mean, Aaron Cayetano has struggled a little bit this season, especially in comparison to last year. Cayetano, four and four overall in dual match play. Naomi Chung just still not her healthiest. She's one and three overall. Snow Han, after the massive summer, she's three and four in dual match play. Like, you know, Maddie Sig has been that good. She's seven and zero, oh, I believe, or still undefeated at least in dual match play. I don't know. Where are you with the Trojans? Yeah, I mean, you look at both of these teams and just immense talent across both yeah. of these teams. It's really just it, it, it's a question mark, right, of why they're having these struggles um, for USC. I mean, these are all players that we're familiar with, right? Cayetano, Snow Han, now healthy, you know, Naomi Chung back in the lineup. And you have, you know, Emma Charney, who had a solid fall. It's kind of inexplicable, right? The results that they continue to have. And this, we saw similar dips for this team last year as well. I don't know what to make of, you know, USC and UCLA right now, but it's it's not good in LA. Yeah, again, plenty of talent there. It needs yeah. to get going right now for both of these teams. And again, Pepperdine's, UCLA's, Stanford's, Cal's on the horizon. Uh, yeah, it's going to get rocking and rolling in LA. We'll keep our eyes on it as things develop. All right. Uh, again, you look across the board. Uh, I do think let's stay in the Pac-12 because, again, what to make of this conference? Utah knocks off Cal, and obviously that's a home match for Utah. Really good win in Salt Lake City. Utah takes the doubles point. They get wins at the four, five, and six spots, Jay. I mean, again, like you look for Cal right now. They are currently sitting all the way down. I think they're, yeah, at number 54. So that's outside the tournament cutoff line. Utah currently sitting at number 44. They're right around where that cutoff will be. Cal is clearly not healthy. You can see it if you watch them play on the streams. Everyone's got certain tape. Kacha Weirsholm still clearly not uh, at 100% either, but like, Again, it's just running out of time. It's March, and we're still saying these things about Cal. Yeah, I mean, Cal has been sort of a train wreck the entire season. It, but I mean, glass half full, right? You know, Utah getting their first program win sure. over Cal. They did the same thing last year with USC. So they're starting to make inroads in the Pac-12. So you love seeing that. You love seeing these uh, conferences become more competitive in that regard. But this is also a Utah team that lost to a Minnesota team that has four players. So it's much more of an indication on just the struggles that Cal has, right? Playing indoors for, I believe, the first time this season. It's tough. Um, Yeah, they're not healthy. I think that at least you can hang your hat on a little bit versus some of the other LA, the LA teams that we were talking about. Like those are at full health pretty much i mean yes everyone has has um Bruce's, bruises of course exactly yeah. but like cal's missing players um yeah. so that that is that hurts them more but yeah i mean how about i mean those rankings that you mentioned for cal ucla usc it's uh you know striking striking yes absolutely and again cal's four and five overall in the year that's crazy to think now to your point shout out to utah first win in program history over cal to your point got over usc as well going to utah is just a tricky place to play that's what we continue to learn men's or women's side so shout out to the utes on the big victory yeah it's funny i was looking at the acc numbers as we were doing our acc broadcasts and there's like i think it's like nine teams in the top 30 for the acc at least there was last week yeah like Again, right now, you look in the top 25 right now, only Stanford and Washington. 
for the Pac-12. That's yep. Stanford at 14, Washington at 25. You know, to find your next Pac-12 team, it's USC at 36, Utah yep. at 44. That's it. And like, again, for Cal, 4-3 loss to Michigan, 4-3 loss to Utah. They salvaged the weekend with a 4-3 win over a frisky Colorado team as well. Like, we'll keep our eyes on everything happening in the West Coast over the course of the next week. But with that said, let's move on to a couple of conferences we had the opportunity to watch up close here at Crack Rackets. SEC, ACC conference play getting underway. Things mostly stayed descript in the first weekend of conference play. Let's start with the number two team in the country real quick, because I got the chance to watch them closely. Texas A&M five to win. That was a battle against Florida. And, you know, they also get the four, one win over South Carolina, but I want to focus on that Friday match in particular. Texas A&M gets the win and we can talk about them in a second. I'm buying some stock in Florida, Jay. I really liked what I saw from the day, uh, the Gators. Their freshmen can play, and like again, Gaylis a really good two and zero win over Cooperus. You know, I even thought across the board, like Spay, Dudney, you know, Dolstrom, Briggs, they just fight. Like they are going to scrap everywhere. I learned a lot about this Florida team. I thought they played well in a tight loss. I mean, we saw this before, right? This is what the second round of indoors where they played this A and M team tight. Um, it seems to be a theme with A&M where it feels like these matches get close and then they start to run away with it. You saw that both in the Florida match and in the South Carolina match. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that this, the current ranking of Florida, like in that 16 through 20 range is right. Um, and they're like a frisky, you know, second round opponent that you don't want having to come to you in the round of 32. Uh, but we'll see. There's just not a lot of like top end talent uh, anchoring the top of that lineup, which makes it tough to compete with the Texas A&Ms of the world. I'm very excited to watch Florida play the Tennessees of the world. I'm very excited to watch it, them play yeah. the Vanderbilts of the world. Here's what I mean. I just think Florida could be a top 16 team. Now, you're right. It's going to be closer to 15 or 16 than it would be to 10. But I see it now because they're going to fight really hard. And if they get you on the right day outdoors, I mean, again, they're just going to wear you down on the A&M note. I just would like to say that I'm buying all the J.C. Goldsmith stock because I think Goldsmith's play, and obviously she's playing at five this year, which is a position she's out of position. She should be cleaning up at the bottom of the lineup, but like she gave De Oliveira the business, and like when she's winning this year, she's just blitzing people off the court. I'm just saying, like Stoyana at one. Played a couple of battles in her two matches. She's going to get the battles all week, taking on Briggs, Ackley. I, you know, again, Brandstein has obviously the big weapons as well. But Goldsmith, the 2-1 and one win on day one. She she plays four against South Carolina, gets a 1-6 and six win against Elise Mills. I'm just saying, I see what J.C. Goldsmith's up to this year, Jay. Yeah, that's like, oh, I'm gonna going all in on Amazon and Google right now. It's like, okay, yeah, the time time to buy there was like 20 years ago. Well, I'm just saying it's the final year. Like, let's a appreciate a year senior. Let's appreciate yeah. the big the victory lap. Yeah, I think it's their best point for sure. Er, yeah. in singles, right? Uh, she, I mean, Cooper's is, seems very up and down. Uh, so I think it's plausible that we see a goldsmith at four, but I think. Whoever's anchoring that four or five spot for them is going to be really tough to beat, particularly outdoors. Yeah, Goldsmith has looked awesome. And she righted the indoors ship that yeah. she's had previously. She's played great indoors. She's playing great now. Um, she's a luxury at having uh, at five. 
Yeah, it's more just, yeah, again, the idea of, you know, watching last year's team, Makarova, Stoyana were the two I really had my eyes on just like, oh, okay, you know, again, they had like two losses between them. Not that Goldsmith lost a bunch last year, but I'm just saying I we I got the chance to actually appreciate be like, oh my God, she is just blitzing. Uh, again, De La Vieira, uh yesterday or on Friday and uh, maybe I, it, was, it went underappreciated under the year. So shout out to you, JC Goldsmith. Yes, I'm buying the Apple stock here in 2023. That's funny. But no, I mean, again, I will say also to watch Florida celebrate the doubles point as if they had just won the national championship was <laughs> something. That was interesting. Again, it was a really fun match. Good start for AM on the weekend. Uh, the other one that caught my eye, Auburn. 4-3 over Alabama. I just think Auburn's going to play a ton of 4-3 matches this year, Jay. I just think that's in their DNA. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think that they're, they don't have a lock at any position there, right? And they're going to fight to have to get those three or four singles positions if they drop doubles. You know, I think that they're probably going to take some hits as it comes to other SEC teams. Um, I don't think they're yet in that top 10 conversation, uh, despite what their ranking says, but they are a team that will f- compete extremely well and that will win them a lot of matches. Yeah, 11 and 2 overall. They've got the Mississippi's coming to town here this weekend so we'll keep our eye on Auburn. Those are really the big SEC results that stood out to me. Florida a good win over LSU. I thought, you know, last week we had the LSU conversation. They lost a heartbreaker 4-3 to South Carolina on Friday. You're just wrong, Jay. LSU is tournament good. I'm not saying they're going to win a bunch at the tournament. I think they're getting into the tournament, though. Yeah, the NIT. It's <laughs> good. It's good. Um, yeah, that's really all I got from conference play. Everyone kind of did their thing on the SEC side. On the ACC, let's start with Wake Forest. 5-2 win over Clemson, and then a really impressive 4-2 win over Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech, tough weekend. 4-2 loss to Wake. 4-3 loss to NC State. I mean, again, shout out to Wake. Good weekend for the Demon Deacons. Yeah, a, a quietly good weekend for them. I think, you know, losing both the Campania sisters to Pepperdine uh, felt like a big blow. And they've been able to make up for it, right? To get that win over Georgia Tech, a Georgia Tech that was just coming off of that weekend, um, you know, beating teams like a Notre Dame. So, you know, they're they're in the hunt, right? They're in that, you know, top 25, top 32 conversation where they typically reside. Um, so a good weekend for them, uh, an impressive win over Georgia Tech. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I, I just think for this Wake Forest team watching them play, I thought Brylin played really well. Killingsworth played really well. It's, just, it's a lot of experience across the board for this Wake Forest team. Do I think they're top 16 good? No. Do I want to see them in round one or two of the NCAA tournament? Absolutely not, because it is a deep, experienced team that plays very good doubles uh, as well. And that was a really fun doubles point between them and Georgia Tech. Notre Dame 0-2 on the weekend. You know, now they had to play the Tobacco Road duo. Always tough when you got to travel to Duke, to North Carolina. But, you know, again, I, I suppose that felt relevant. I also think it's worth noting Syracuse. They played the Virginia teams. They drop uh, the match to Virginia. They do bounce back, though, with the win over Virginia Tech. So I think they are really, you know, they're clearly in that NCAA tournament hunt. And I think they I I think that was a good consolidated weekend because it was what four two against Virginia. They played pretty solidly. Any thoughts on some scattered ACC results there? 
I thought the Notre Dame results were disappointing. I mean, it's a Notre, T- Notre Dame team that had surged to what top 15 in the rankings. Yeah. Um, clearly not a top 15 team. Uh, yes. You need to play North Carolina and Duke a lot closer to kind of warrant sure. that, that ranking. Um, but you're right. I mean, Syracuse, yeah, absolutely. A NCAA uh, tournament team, certainly potentially stay in the top 25 conversation for this team. I thought they played Virginia decently close. Um, but yeah, other than that, nothing super noticeable from the ACC. My last would be a Duke take. Still no drummy, but Bryce looks better. Schwetz is looking better. Jackson is legitimately this good. Um, Duke is rolling. Or not yeah. rolling. That's too much. But they're getting better. Like, they actually are already getting better. Yeah, Bryce Golova is not looking better. Uh, I thought she I don't, played pretty well. She got the win. I mean, we watched her match against a Louisville team that they kind of blitzed everywhere. Oh, but I thought because I was going to say they've put Schwetz in there uh, yeah. ahead of her. It seems. Um, yeah, Cam Mora kind of struggling at the two position. Sure. I'll be curious to see when Drummy is healthy and kind of what the permutation of Drummy Jackson Mora ends up looking like. Um, they're starting to drop that number two position more often than they have certainly in the past. Right, they were basically undefeated at number two. Um, so, yeah, but Beck just does that at one now. Well, they had Drummy doing it last year, right? Yeah, so whoever they, I don't think they were undefeated at two. It was either Beck or Drummy. Okay, fair. Yeah. I mean, either way, by the way, is Beck, if if we're doing the her race, you know, update, who is her right now, as the kids say, or him, who is the gal? Is it Beck? No. Is it Brodus? <laughs> no, it's Crawley. It's Crawley. Yeah, I agree. Um, Had to throw that out there. I mean, the other NC State note that people would want us to mention, Carol Lee, the one in three win over top 100 player in the world, Diana Schneider. It's just a reminder that Carol Lee's really freaking good, Jay. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of factors uh, of which Carol Lee being very good is one of them. Schneider coming, of course, from Mexico earlier in the week to travel, play this match. Yeah, that's really all we have to say on it. All right. Other notable results, other things you should know here as we wrap up our coverage of the past week. I have three for uh, two for you, Jay, and they both involve Kansas, Kansas four one win. Over Northwestern, they followed up as well with a 4-3 win over ODU on the road. Kansas right now, you look at the uh, at the ITA rankings, excuse me, they are currently sitting all the way up at number 13. And you know how fondly that 2019 Kansas team still sits in my heart. I just think it's great colors. It's a great color to get back into the college tennis mix. It aesthetically just looks great uh, in contrast to other schools. But man, like this Kansas team, they can freaking play. And again, you look at the results they had this weekend and Ganui at the one spot. She plays uh, a really good set of matches, three sets at both. But obviously, I think she's the real deal. The fact that you can move a Tova to the number two spot, even though she doesn't get a win. That's a real top two. You know, and it was the bottom of their lineup that really thrived this weekend. I believe they go four and oh at the five and six single spots. I mean, again, shout out to this Kansas team, Jay. They're what, nine and one overall to start the year? I think so. Yeah. I mean, you know, who's loving this Kansas surge is Oklahoma and Texas. Both of these two teams who need, you know, other potential ranked wins uh, on that resume and seeing the rest of the big 12. I mean, you saw this with the ACC uh, where you have one or two teams continually leading the pack. And then you start to see, you know, other, you know, conference teams emerge. We've seen Iowa state emerge this season, Kansas kind of bubbling up these past few years. Uh, look, I mean, rising tides lift all boats and, and Kansas is certainly one of them. 
Yeah, very well said. I do think, again, you look in the mix now, Kansas, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Oklahoma, Texas. Big 12's coming for your crown, ACC, at least yeah. while these schools are still in the conference. But again, any other results stand out to you from the week? Any other things you think we should know? I think you I think you went through the list. Yeah, I think we did hit everyone. Wisconsin got a good uh, a couple good wins this past weekend. Miami, a 5-2 win over Florida State to kind of get their season uh, back going. I thought Tennessee looked pretty good in their two wins. They played Missouri and Arkansas. Arkansas, but like, yeah. Yeah, I'm buying stock on in Tennessee. I think yeah. they're, they could be like a Florida. I think like one of these SEC teams is going to be 15 or 16, and it could be Florida. It could be Tennessee. It could be Vanderbilt. The th- they're probably the yeah, three the- fighting it out. Yeah, I was going to say, if Tier 1 SEC is Georgia and A&M, like there's a few teams in Tier 2, and it's Florida, Vandy, Tennessee, I think are pretty much your three that are competing for that, like, 14, 15, 16, 17 uh, position. Yeah, by the way, shout out Kentucky. They got a much-needed win on the road at Mississippi State just to get things rocking and rolling. And, yeah, I mean, again, I I do think across the board – We've got some teams like things are starting to shape out. I, I do think the SEC also you're feeling pretty good coming out of weekend number one. Like, OK, the depth is back. The strength on top is back. Um, and, yeah, I think across the board, the rankings are going to look pretty fun as we see all these teams compete over the course of the next month. And with that in mind, let's go next to the rankings where things stand right now for our crack rackets team coming out of the week. Uh, you look at our crack rackets, top 10, not a ton of movement, but some movement certainly following the Pepperdine victories over Michigan and Oklahoma state. They're your biggest winner as they move up to the number five spot. It's now North Carolina one still AM two, Georgia three, NC state four, Pepperdine. Now five Iowa state, six, Michigan 7, Ohio State 8, Auburn 9, Stanford 10. That's interesting to me. That's not going to look exactly the same as my rankings. I believe I had Stanford dropping out of my top 10. I believe, Hmm. who did I flip above them? Uh, I can look right now to what I set West off. Oh, I had Duke now flipped above them because I just thought Duke with the win over Notre Dame. And I think Duke beat Stanford, if memory serves me correct, at the National Indoors. And what was that terrible? It was an excellently horrible match is the best way to describe that four, three finish. Um, yeah. I had Duke over Stanford. That's actually my only objection with the rankings. Yeah. I still had Stanford in um, and I had Texas rounding out the top 10. Okay. So then I had, I had no, no Auburn. Auburn. Okay. So that's who you left out. Yeah. I left yeah. Texas out for now, but they're right on the precipice. When do you want to make the switch to top 16? April 1st? Is that when we start ranking the top 16? Sure. When we start looking at that sweet 16 cutoff. Yeah, exactly. Who's going to host the Super Regionals? But yeah, I mean, again, our top 10 looks like this. I'm not sure if we have the ITA graphic or not to see how our top 10 differs with the ITA's top 10, but we do not have it. It's not extraordinarily different. You look right now for the ITA, North Carolina 1, A&M 2, Georgia 3, Ohio State 4, NC State 5, Michigan 6, Auburn and Pepperdine tied for seven, Duke nine, and then Iowa State down at 10. Again, though, Virginia, Texas, Stanford, you know, they're right in the mix there. Man, that race for the top 16 is going to be really fun. Uh, it's going to be really close. Yeah, down the season's home stretch. 
Any thoughts on the individual rankings right now? You look uh, at the singles rankings, currently number one, Fiona Crawley, two Freeman, three back, four Sieg, five Stoyana, six Ma, seven Ackley, eight Lee, nine Alana Smith of NC State, 10 Liama of Georgia. Anything in particular stand out to you? Yeah, I thought Ayanna Ackley of South Carolina, who I think quietly has had an excellent season, you know, with Sarah Hamner's injury from the fall. She's been up at the one position, been playing extremely well, Um, you know, transfer from Maryland two years ago, comes in to South Carolina. And um, yeah, I I don't definitely don't think she was in the top 10 prior to this week. I forgot to look up what she was two weeks ago, but her emergence in the top 10 is well deserved. She's been playing very well at the one position for South Carolina. Well said. Uh, you know, one that stuck out to me, we talked Old Dominion earlier, Sasnaskaya at 21. I actually think that's about right. Like, I do think she is top 25 good. I think you look at some of the other individual rankings, Emma Jackson, 24. I think she is that good. Angelica Blake, 29. Again, that feels much more accurate. You know, it's interesting. I see Cayetano right now at 39. I think that's where she should be. Like, we know she's better than that when she's playing her best, but like, I don't think you can make the case. She's clearly been a top 30 player this season. Doubles rankings wise, Chen and Brodus at one makes sense. Brown and Miller played them even over the course of the weekend. And so them at two doesn't offend me. Trolley Tan Gillick probably shouldn't be three right now, but they had that good of a fall. So they are going to stay there. It's still early. Like, I don't have any particularly strong thoughts. Any final thoughts on the individuals? You ready to look at the week ahead? Well, just that's the plus or minus, however you want to look at it, about the fall season, right? That those wins in the fall weigh equally, right, to these wins now. You just have to look at Ethan Quinn's singles ranking, right, staying high up in the top five. Those wins matter. Um, So you talk about Tangillig and Crawley. They had an excellent fall. They'll stay there all season. Mm -hmm. Well said, by the way. Player I'm buying stock in right now, Apple's JC Goldsmith currently at 90, just because I know you wanted the update there, Jay. Um, but all right, then. Well, that's it. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, it can be tough for her to move up. I know. That's, that is tough. Um, yeah. We need some matches at one for the stock price, please. All right. Let's move on to the week ahead because it's another fun week of conference play of spring break trips. You look across the board, Jay. I start with you. What is the matches that have caught your eye? Well, the match I'm going to spend a little bit more time previewing this week on my podcast is Texas, Oklahoma. Anytime we get a rematch of the national championship, got to go deep on that one. We did get it at indoors, but, you know, I, I didn't think Oklahoma, they definitely didn't play their best. Texas didn't even have their full lineup. Zanilova was out. So I'm very excited to see how that match turns out. It is in Austin. I felt like that match last year against Oklahoma was a little bit where Texas started to turn the page on being the national championship winning caliber team. So that one is the one that I have circled um, as kind of my match of the week. There's a bunch of really good ones that start as soon as Friday, right? And I mean, I think you look at Kansas versus Iowa State, like what's real, what isn't, let's find out. Let's roll the balls out that match at Iowa State, Tennessee at Vanderbilt, like both teams need it. If you want to be in that top 16, maybe even pushing towards the top eight conversation, if you're Vanderbilt, you know, again, just looking at the Friday matches, things we're going to cover, and obviously we'll be on ESPN plus Friday with our SEC and ACC coverage. Shout out to the humble brag. Wake Forest at Florida State. Like, what's up, Florida State? Like, I just, I need to know. And so that's a match I'm really looking forward to because Wake's coming off of a great weekend, right? But, of course, you make that trip down to South Florida, anything can happen, or just Florida in general, because I guess Tallahassee's down South Florida. NC State at Miami, 
I think that catches my eye on Friday too. That could get a little frisky. Yeah, uh, Schneider versus Alexa Noel is going to be very frisky. Talk yeah. about, you know, hopefully they have a good crowd. Um, you know, that's going to be Alexa Noel throwing all sorts of stuff uh, yeah. towards Schneider's way. Florida at South Carolina is another good one. Georgia, by the way, tough weekend for Vanderbilt. You get Tennessee and Georgia. Things getting really real. Mm-hmm. Texas hosts both of the Oklahoma schools, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. My sneaky important match of the week, Jay, because I do have a sneak candidate for you. How about Illinois taking on Northwestern on the women's side? That's a matchup happening 6 p.m. Friday night. Northwestern kind of needs it right now. You look for this Northwestern team. They're currently 72 in the rankings. Illinois is 28. I don't think any of us would have anticipated that's where we'd be sitting on March 7th had I asked you in January. That's my sneaky important match of the weekend. Yeah, that feel that screams like top four seeding in Big Ted tournament. Hundred thousand percent. But you mentioned when's that no ad, no problem coming out. When what can we expect, you know, again from you this week? Thursday morning. Uh we'll be releasing that. We'll definitely do Oklahoma, Texas on the women's side. TBD on the men's side, put up a poll on the Instagram. I think it's still live, so you can go and vote. I have three options on the men's side I want to deep dive on. So go ahead and vote. I'm hoping to attend the Stanford, Texas match on mm-hmm. Thursday assuming it doesn't rain. Okay. That's a big assumption given what we've seen of late. I'll tell you what, I've brought the rain to California in my recent trips. I will not be in California. I will be in Phoenix. So hopefully again, maybe that's where the rain will follow. But again, all of that said, that's your look at the week behind in the division one women's college tennis world. Of course, that's your look at the week ahead as well. We will have coverage of the sec Thursday, Friday on ESPN Plus and the SEC Network, of course, for the ACC Friday, Sunday. That's ESPN Plus and the ACC Network, of course, on Sunday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. We will also have Big Ten action for all of you college tennis fans as we roll into the start of conference play. Of course, with all that said, a shout out as always to our friends at LS for their support of this show. A shout out as well to our super producer on the ones and twos, Daniel Westoff, who we keep busy, makes all this content possible here at Crack Rackets. With all of that in mind, Jay, final word goes to you. Any final thoughts? I'm looking forward to more tennis. No rain, please. Uh, would love to get out there on Thursday um, and looking forward to catching more coverage over the weekend. This is this is the normal normal slight. So I'm looking forward to all these matches. I love to hear it. Well, then, with all that said, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, our super producer Daniel Westoff, our friends at LS, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. 